I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. As you're turning in your Bibles, you know, I, I was here in 1977 when we actually built Fellowship Hall. And uh, I, we never imagined, those of you who have been around a long time, that this would become an amphitheater. But that's what it's been. And that's what I think of last week and what a joy it was to celebrate Easter together here. There are people that would pay big bucks for this view. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about what's behind me. As if there was any doubt. So, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, if you're new to here, I just hope that you'll find a place within our family here at Claremont Emanuel. You know, I know sometimes we wonder what visitors think, or at what neighbors think in particular. And uh, from one of these neighbors right over here, we got a note this last week. And so if you're wondering, I'm going to tell you what she said. She said, I'm enjoying your service and your music. She's never been here. She hears it. Um, it's an honor to have neighbors like you. That's sweet. I was encouraged by that. And uh, I had kind of tried to give her fair warning before, once, before we started these services that this was happening and she was all excited. So anyway, um, switch gears here a little bit, get into the message. So in 1947, uh, there was a professor who was in Wisconsin and was going to be teaching at the University of Chicago, teaching a, a course in physics. Um, and he was going to be making the 50-mile one-way trip, 100-mile round trip for this class, even though it was going to be the dead of winter. Uh, the registration for the class fell far short of what their expectations were, and there ended up only being two students that signed up for the class. But this professor decided to make the trip anyway, 100 miles, uh, twice a week, to teach these two students. Ten years after he finished the class, these two students won the Nobel Prize. <clears throat> and some years after that, the professor himself won the Nobel Prize. Uh, the bottom line is that for a, a, a professor, uh, no, there, there are not too few students. There's never too few students. That was the way it was with Jesus. He taught the crowds, he taught the masses, but there were 12 men in particular that he wanted to get the message, his 12 disciples. And <clears throat> as we come to any text in scripture, that's my prayer for us, that we get it that we understand what, what the text says, what Jesus was saying, and that we can take it and uh, apply it to our situation today, to where we're at. So at the top of your outline, it says this, that Jesus made abstract ideas concrete through parables. Rabbis taught in parables, and so people were used to hearing teaching done in this way. In this parable, Jesus calls his followers to hear and respond to and share the gospel while sin and the cares of this world and opposition hinder kingdom growth. So in this text that we're looking at today, right in the middle of it, if you look at, we're going to go back and read the whole thing, but <clears throat> I'm going to start with verse 10. When he was alone, it says, the 12 and the others around him... <clears throat> asked him about the parables. And then in verse 13, look at verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? 
all the gospel writers agree that this is the first parable that Jesus shares uh, with, with his people, with the people he's teaching. And a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It just enlightens what, what, what the true meaning of it is with ways that they can relate to. Somebody described a parable like a vocal cartoon. If you're old enough, and this will maybe show my age, I, rem I remember opening the newspaper and looking at the comics. I confess I turned there first usually. And there was one called Dilbert. Maybe you remember that one. And uh, I want to ask for a show of hands because most of you don't remember that. Oh, some of you do. Okay, all right, all right, that's good. Okay, so I did ask for a show of hands. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, it was this guy just would talk about the office situation that a lot of people could identify with and make fun of it, and we could relate to that. And so a parable was like that. It was like a vocal cartoon. So it's not an allegory. Most parables aren't. This one kind of borders on it, but where all the people, an allegory is where everyone has kind of a, a, a counterpart. Um, and it's intentionally precise like that. Generally, that's the way they are. Fo but, but parables, on the other hand, will focus generally, on one big idea. Uh, this one's a little bit different in that Jesus does explain a little bit more of the details of this parable, but generally, parables are not, it's not meant to, they're not meant as allegory. They're meant as kind of to get across one big idea. Uh, about a third of everything that Jesus taught were parables, uh, around 46 of them or so, I think, in, in, that we have in the, in the Synoptic Gospels mainly uh, and in the Gospel of John. But uh, let's read the story, Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the, on, on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, this is a quote from Isaiah 6, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. 
As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, uh, others like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is God's word. So here's the summary. Uh, verse 14, the farmer sows the word. And so you have this on your outline. The seed symbolizes the word of God. And specifically the gospel. The sower is primarily Christ, but anyone else who preaches the gospel. And the soil represents the varying conditions of the human heart on which the seed is sown. So if nothing is in the soil, nothing will grow. Uh, except where we try to have a nice maybe vegetable garden and where there's nothing, weeds always seem to grow. As the sower sows the seed, some falls on the roadside, birds fly and take it away. Some seeds on rocky soil quickly sprouts, uh, but it will only just wilt under the sun. The sower throws seed in another direction, it falls on th uh, among thorns, and the thistles uh, choke it out, it can't grow. And then other soil, uh, other seed falls on good soil, and has roots and multiplies 30, 60, 100 fold. End of the parable, that's it. And then Jesus says this in verse 9, if you want to underline something in your Bible, you can underline this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what's being said. And don't just listen, take it in, digest it, think about it, apply it to your life, live it out. That's what he means when he says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. So in John chapter one, Jesus is referred to as the word of God, as the word made flesh. The word, he is God's ultimate communication to us. Every fiber of Jesus being wants his disciples to get this message. He wants us to understand what he's saying here. So he explains it. And when he was alone in verse 10, it says the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus responds with one of these famous hard sayings. The quote from Isaiah, again, verses 11 and 12. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, this parable is also found in Matthew and Luke. And if we look at the parallel passage in Matthew, it sheds some light on it, I think, for us. And you've got the passage on the outline in Matthew 13. 
Whoever has will be given more, and he who will have, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, and though hearing they do not hear or understand. And so what Jesus is saying is that <clears throat> the parables would conceal the truth to those who weren't interested in receiving it. And it would reveal the truth to those who were hungry for it. It's like the same sun that, that melts the ice, hardens the clay. It's the same truth for in, in one person's eyes, and it'll open their eyes, and it'll close the eyes of another person. In essence, Jesus was saying that the condition of one's heart determines how they receive the truth. So we want our hearts to be tender toward the Lord. We want our hearts to be, as the prophet Hosea says, fallow ground. In other words, and this is on your outline, those who receive truth and act upon it receive more. And those who reject the truth ultimately will lose what they have. The parables are full of truth. But for those who rejected the truth, they missed the teaching of the parables. And the lesson for us is obvious. I think God confronts us with his truth and if we don't positively respond to it, we'll lose it. And that's the reality. It's spiritually dangerous, in other words, to sit under the teaching of the word of God week after week and not respond to it. Not ask yourself the question, okay, so what am I going to do about it? I've heard this, now how can I take it this week and, and put it into practice in my life? An excellent spiritual discipline is to ask yourself that question because we must respond to the truth. And just like they did, we can become better listeners as well. I love the metaphor of, of sowing seeds here. What could be gentler? What could be gentler than, you know, we're not talking about taking a pickaxe to the, to the ground. We're not talking about blowing something up. No, it's, it's, it's if, if you were to have a little pot, uh, and what could be more gentle than pushing a seed down into the soil and covering it up? And of course, it takes a long time to see change. It's gradual. It, it doesn't happen all at once. But we've all done that. We did that in elementary school. We'd do that. And, and we'd watch the seed grow over days and over weeks. One other comment here is if, if you put a seed into a pot, you can't just leave it alone. There's, there's some things that we need to do. We need to make sure that it's in the sunlight, that it gets the, the, what it needs, the, the vitamins that it needs to grow. We, we need to make sure that it's got a sufficient amount of water. We just can't leave it dry. And the gospel is not something that, that does something to you without you. Did you hear that? The gospel is not something that does something to you without you. It needs you to be fertile soil. And so we pray and we say, oh God, come down and change my life. 
And that's just the beginning. Because then it's through thinking and, and through listening and, and through hearing and, and praying and understanding and meditating on the word that it takes root and it's fascinating and it's gradual. And it needs to be sustained over time. That's how this incredible power of God, the resurrection power, is released in our life. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's us working in tandem with the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And so the first soil Jesus tells us about, number one on your outline, is the seed on the path that represents the hard and calloused heart. The hard and calloused heart. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So farmers' fields in ancient Israel were divided by these long, narrow strips of land. So in Israel, the, the, the land that was, that was tilled was these long, uh, really beautiful patches of, of, of field that were, where, where, where seeds could be sown. But in between them were these hard paths that were made hard by people walking on them and by, by uh, wheels and by hooves of, of animals that were on these, were the, that, that would be in and out of those. And so it became hard like brick, as hard as rocks. And so you probably know people like this with hard hearts. They just don't care about spiritual things. So many things can compete with our time and we all know that. There, there are so many great things, even good things that, that can be the enemy of what's best for our lives. And we get so caught up in what's just temporary that we leave the more important things, the eternal things, aside. And we're missing out on something very important. Or let's say you get sick. Or you lose your job, or you lose your home, or God forbid you lose a family member. It happens. Let's say someone comes along and, and tempts you, and you have a choice, and you know it, in between this person or God. And you hold on uh, the question is, are you going to hold on to God? Or are you going to turn away from him? Maybe in anger that he brought this into your life and walk away from God. And you say that you understand. You say you get that. You say you're prepared for that. But just wait until life gets difficult. Because we believe it to a point until the temptation gets too great. And then we say, you know what? I want this thing more than I want God. And we walk away from God. Maybe there's this huge sin. Maybe it's no huge sin. But there's no interest in God. And let's just say that it's just a very crowded thing. It's a crowded world out there. So, so many things vie for our attention and our thoughts. It's just easy to walk away if we want to. And this person that's being described here could be hostile, but usually they're just uninterested. 
Maybe this person has a lot of preconceived ideas about Christianity that are actually wrong ideas. The bottom line is that they just, they think God's truth is just not relevant to them. It's a little bit like the way people respond when they hear a flight attendant give instructions before taking off. Uh, my wife was on a flight where our daughter was a flight attendant and was, she was doing all the directions and uh, Kathy took her eyes off for a bit and Laura was like, okay, I see you, watch me. You know, most people are on their phones or they're in a conversation with someone or they're figuring out, I, I never got the thing with the seatbelts. No, really, no one knows how to do a seatbelt? But you know what? They could Even though people are uninterested, even though people are not paying attention, they couldn't get away with not doing it. It's a law. It's the FAA says they have to give those instructions at the beginning of every flight. And so in the same way, we shouldn't be discouraged when we tell people about the gospel and they don't seem interested. That's not our responsibility. Their heart is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is just to, to share the good news with them. Our responsibility, like you've got it on your outline, is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to others as clearly as we can. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and we leave the results to God. It's his, it's his job to work in their hearts. We don't convert anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It worked in your life. We need to trust God that it will work in the lives of other people. If some prove to be blind, that's God's business. So how can we apply this? Well, we can pray for ourselves and for those around us, those we love. And, and what, what it says in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's what we need to be praying for ourselves. And then the second type of soil Jesus tells them about, number two on your outline, is the seed on rocky places that represents a shallow an impulsive heart. Look at verses 16 and 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. You know, in Israel, there are a lot of rocks. I mean, a lot. It's by law that you have to build your home out of limestone because it's so plentiful there. That's the law. And so think about all the rocks that are there and the seed falling on those rocks. It's basically, maybe if most of Israel, there are exceptions, but most of Israel is like uh, is limestone with maybe three or four inches of soil on top of it. And so uh, here's some seed falls and the warm sun quickly heats up the seed in the shallow soil and it, it sprouts. It seems to take off and start to grow. But then the sun beats down and because the plant has no roots because of the limestone, it'll wither and die. And maybe these people initially embrace God because they thought their problems would go away. 
They thought life would be smooth sailing once they became a Christian and then things only got harder for them. And so it withers and dies. They wither and die spiritually. Helmut Tielicke, a theologian, puts it like this. There is nothing more cheering than transformed Christian people. And there is nothing more disintegrating than people who have been merely brushed by Christianity. People who have been sown by a thousand seeds, but in whose lives there is no depth and no rootage. Therefore, they fall when the first whirlwind comes along. It is what he calls the half-Christians who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionalism do not stand the test. I've seen it happen before. I'm guessing you've seen it happen before. I know of one young man who made, had this incredible testimony. He was put up front too soon to give his testimony in front of other people and even talked down to those who'd been Christians for a long time saying, where's your enthusiasm? Where's your excitement? And then this young man was in an accident, broke his leg, ended up suing somebody wrongly for that, became very bitter and angry, and in the end, completely forsook God. It happens. Authentic faith does involve emotion. But it is also a matter of the mind and the will. True belief involves the whole person. Well, what can we do about this? We can deepen our understanding of the faith. You know, we're giving you that opportunity on Tuesday nights with Jerry Root during, the month, uh, during this month. I, many of you tuned, I think we had 150 that tuned in the first Tuesday. You can still see it online on YouTube. Uh, we give those opportunities in Bible studies and in small groups. We want to give you those opportunities to grow and deepen your faith. You know, if I could say one thing, the one thing that's helped me most in my own Christian life more than any other Christian discipline has been scripture memory, hiding God's word in my heart. Just take one verse a week and hide it in your heart. And it's not the memorization, but that is what allows you to meditate on it all day long and all night long and that the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your mind to encourage you or at the right moment, it happens over and over again all the time. So memorize God's word, hide it in your heart. The third soil that Jesus describes to the disciples, number three, is the seed upon thorny soil that represents the divided and cluttered heart. Verses 18 and 19, still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The thorns, Jesus said, are, are the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. And the stress itself will strangle out what they've heard and, and nothing gets done. Nothing comes of it. Nothing comes of the seed planted in their lives. 
because of all these other worries. And this portrays divided and irreconcilable loyalties. The, the heart makes some movement toward Christ, but the worries of this life, literally the distractions of the age, that's the literal Greek, draw it back. It's pulled in other directions. So there's no room left for spiritual concerns. There's people that just aren't available to serve. They aren't available for Bible says They're just too busy with life. The deceitfulness of wealth is keeping up with the Joneses. And just when you catch up with the Joneses, they go out and refinance. It's an unending and useless flight of our lives to keep trying to follow other people and live up to them and, and their expectations. And there are so many better things, things of God, spiritual things that we lose focus on. And this represents the person who's pulled in so many other directions, there's just no room for God. The weeds suck all the nutrients right out of it. The thorns choke it out. It's money. It's having a newer, better, bigger car. It's, it's more money. We need money. We all need money. We need transportation. But we want more and more and more. There's no end to it. Entertainment, to job, to clothes, clothes. It just keeps going. None of these are bad in themselves. None of them. You've got to have them all. But when, they're so, when you're so taken by them and so focused on them that it chokes out what's the most important things. Chokes out the word. And maybe your belief in God hasn't changed, but maybe your maturity level hasn't grown in the last 10 years. You're at the same place you were 10 years ago. But we always need to get our roots deeper. We always need to grow stronger in, in our walk with God. Maybe you never grew because you wouldn't let go of all those other things. A heart that's so overcome for a love for riches and a love for the world is not a believing heart. It says it like this, and you've got it on your outline in Matthew 6. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. So what can we learn from this? Well, we have to do what it says in Matthew 6.33. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants and all these other needs will be provided. God does that. He's faithful to provide our needs. Says he is. You know, one way that we could describe the entire Bible, and this is on your outline, is that it tells us the great story of Jesus and how we can seek and be satisfied in him alone. Reading and putting his word into practice has got to be number one in our lives. And if there's anything we're treasuring more than Jesus, then that thing has become our master. It's become our idol and it's keeping us from being satisfied in our King Jesus. And we have to get it in the right perspective, in the right priority level. Maybe push it down some. 
We need to confess our sin. We need to repent. And we also have to, and this is on your outline as well, take all our emotions and anxious thoughts to the Lord daily, every day. Our emotions are not sinful. But I think we could say that they are designed by God so that they point us back to Jesus and finding our complete satisfaction in him. So when you think about your life, when you think about your family, when you think about your job, when you think about anything, you take all the fears and joys as well, but you take them all before the Lord. You bring every thought captive to him. You hand over each situation to the king and you have confidence in him to respond. And he will. And then the last soil that Jesus talks about is the seed in the good soil that represents the fruitful and receptive heart. The fruitful and receptive heart. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word accepted and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. <clears throat> so here it is. The seed of God's word doesn't bounce off the surface of this heart like the first one. It, it, it doesn't just flourish for a moment only to be shriveled under adversity in the second. It's not a divided heart by its competing desires that strangle out like the third, but this heart allows God's word to take deep root. And what's the fruit that it produces? You've got it on your outline. It produces first a harvest of good character, like the fruit of the spirit in our lives. It also produces a harvest of good works. That's how, why God created us to do good works. Why? Because we're saved by grace. We don't do the works to be saved. We do the works because we're saved by grace. And then it produces, thirdly, a harvest of new believers. That's why Jesus sent us out into the world to preach the good news of the gospel to every creature. So that as Nathan said at the beginning, every tongue, tribe, and nation would be represented and will be represented at the throne of God. And this is the good, clean, deep soil in which the seed grows strong and puts down deep roots. And so how do we do that? On your outline, first of all, we must hear the word of God. We must hear God's word. And we can't hear it unless we listen. And sometimes we're so busy talking that we, we have no time to listen. We're so busy engaged in arguing with people about what we think that, that we just don't have time to stop and listen. And we're so working so hard on getting our views made known <clears throat> that we have no time to meditate on God's words. We're so much on the move that we have no time to be still before God, to have a quiet time with God, personal, our personal devotional time with him. And then secondly, we must receive God's word. We receive it into our lives. When we hear the word preached, we need to take it into our hearts and minds. And the way God created us is pretty amazing. You know, if dust flies in the air, we blink our eyes to protect our eyes. Unfortunately, that can work in a negative way because when we hear things we don't want to hear, we can shut our minds off as well. But we can't do that to God. 
There are times when truth can hurt, but sometimes a drug treatment that we need to have can be painful and hurt in order to bring us back to good health. And if you get bored with Bible study, it's because you're not asking God to use that study to transform your, your home life and your job and your, your life in between Sundays. That's what God wants to do. And then finally, we put God's word into action. The harvest of, in the parable is 30, 60, 100 fold. That's a large yield. And when all is said and done, as Christians, we're challenged not just to speculate, not just to, to, not, not just to analyze, but to make it work in our lives, to put it into practice. It was D.L. Moody who said, the Bible was not given primarily to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And so that's what the word of God does. It changes, that's what he wants it to do. We have to be the fallow soil to receive that word of God. And so we, we take the word into our hearts and minds, we hear it. Do you have ears to hear? Do you tune into the words of scripture and the words of the gospel or do you tune them out? Think carefully before dismissing Jesus' words. You're playing with your eternal soul when you do that. So let me just say this, you know, I, I, I beg you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to go after the word, to grab it, to do everything you can to get it into your mind and your heart and to not ignore the word of God. I beg you to spend daily time with God. You, we, we get this feast time on Sundays, but we need to eat in between the feasting on our own. You know, when, when I, my roommates and I first moved to San Diego after college in 1977, we ended up in Ocean Beach. We ended up at this church. And um, we had spent all the money that we had saved over the summer. And we just had arrived in early fall uh, on our first and last month's rent. We all had jobs, but none of us had a paycheck. And we were down to our last coins. We decided that we'd go to wash our clothes because we hadn't done that for quite a while. That was a priority, get our clothes washed. And while we were at the laundromat in Ocean Beach, a miracle happened. A man stuck his head in and he said, hey, does anybody want some free bread? I've got a bread truck left and a lot of free bread. And we looked at each other like we had struck gold. And it was wonder bread. It was white bread that's supposed to kill you now, but it was... <laughs> all we had. And I think we each walk, walked home with three loaves in each hand and our clothes in our backpacks or whatever. We were so happy. You opened our cupboards, every single cupboard, bread, bread, bread. It's all we had. We went and got a, a big jar of peanut butter, all we could afford, and jelly. And we ate peanut butter and jelly morning, noon, and night for two weeks until we got paid. But you know what? We need to have that same attitude toward the bread of life, toward Jesus himself, and toward his word. Do you have ears to hear? Think about it. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, help us to see that the way to change is to master the gospel, to take the truth of your word in deeply and get it into the very roots of our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for the beauty of Jesus, your word made flesh. He is the ultimate seed who gives us the seed of the word. He is the word. Help us to take this in so that we can bear incredible fruit in our lives for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. And if there's anyone here who has never received you into their lives, that they would trust you today for their salvation, that they would call on you in faith right now. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for being here with us. And may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of the master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. Amen.